0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special holiday edition of Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm your host, the holly jolly nightmare that is Sully, and with me, I have Will. Uh, it is I,
1: Will, the guardian of uh, M&M's and uh,
0: peanut m ms Those two varieties in particular. Absolutely. Okay, and with me, we also have a special guest from the Awesome Cast. We have Anna.
2: Hi, I'm Anna. I'm the guardian of awesome podcast editing.
0: And this time we have a holiday treat for everyone. We are going to be discussing the Sailor Moon S movie. Uh, It is also known as Hearts in Ice. That was its original English dub title. And this is, we chose, I chose this. Because it is the closest thing we have to like a Sailor Moon Christmas movie, even though it's more like a winter movie with some Christmas, like it's mentioned once and that's it. So what are you guys like relationship with Sailor Moon? Because Anna, I know that like myself, you are a big time Moony, but Will, I know that you have seen the classic series, but you're not as maybe into the fandom as as Anna and myself. Yeah, that pretty much
1: sums it up. It was something that was very much a part of my childhood around late 90s, so much with, like, Pokemon or other Toonami shows, so it has a lot of nostalgic connection for me. Um, But honestly, I haven't been too in-depth with the show, especially into adulthood, so I do enjoy it a lot, but it's been a long time since I've revisited and critically looked
0: at a lot of the older shows. And Anna, you have been a Mooney since... uh... Forever,
2: <laughs> early two thousand probably. Uh, I and I've not stopped. I've always been obsessed with Sailor Moon. It was I found it on Toonami randomly one day, and I was hooked. I, I think it was around the time they would do their Sunday, at, their Sunday Sailor Moon marathon, where it was like the specific, like Sailor Moon R arc. It was always the same one. It was the same Black Moon arc. They always showed. But I loved it, and, and I've kept up with it. It's, it's probably worse now that I'm adult, because now I have adult money, and I can buy all the new toys. And I've actually just recently got my collection displayed downstairs, and it's, it's got such a special place in my heart. And it's, it's brought me so many good friends and everything <clears throat> through it. It's actually one of the reasons I knew that Basil was the one for me. Aww. Uh, my, our very first date was the day after my birthday, and that week, the newest volume of the rec- or the, the new release Kadancha put out had been released and I hadn't yet gotten it. And so I told Basil it was my birthday the day before, and we went to Books Million and I told him, you know, I knew that this was out. And he said, "Well, go ahead, I'll, I'll go ahead and get it and I'll, I'll buy it for you. Well, he also bought one for himself, and that's when I knew.
0: Oh, I want a man to buy me manga. <laughs> Before we start recording, Anna, you were also saying that you had kind of a special connection to this particular movie. Yeah, um, we because you were you you were looking for it for a long time. You you became the scourge of the Walmart.
2: Yes, I when they started releasing the English versions on VHS in the bubble case, like the old Disney case. I would call Walmart, I knew what date it was coming out. I looked on the line, I knew what date they were coming out and I would call the Walmarts like at midnight and start asking, hey, do you have this out yet? Do you have this out yet? And they're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they hated me. And like, they got to the point where they would know like, like, hi, I'm looking for the new Sailor Moon. It's not out yet. <laughs> or yes, we're putting it out now or something. And I would go and I, w- I had all three of the original English releases on VHS. And I still have them actually. <laughs>
0: Those, those good old uh, clamshell VHS cases yes. that were like th- just, they're such a weird tactile part of so many of our childhoods. True. Like y- y- you look at those VHS clamshells because I've seen some of them for the original Sailor Moon dub and like my lizard brain just, it activates a certain part of my subconscious uh, that is still eternally like ten years old. Let- So this movie, as I said before, uh, it's been released a lot. Um, the film was originally released in Japan on December 4th, 1994, as part of the Winter 94 Toei Anime Fair. It was screened along with two other films, Aokiden Setsu Shoot and Osawaga Super Baby, which I have looked into and I can find very little information on. It is All I know is it's probably like the anime boss baby that kind of <laughs> came and went. A Toei Anime Fair was this thing where Toei would, during each of the breaks in the Japanese school year, they have a summer break, a spring break, and a winter break, they would make these theatrical films. And this movie is only about an hour long. Each of the Sailor Moon theatrical releases are only about an hour long, because they should be shown on a triple feature. So the idea was, hey kids, it's school break, Why don't you spend, you know, all your free time going to the theater and watching your favorite Toei animation on the big screen? And so the idea was, like, you would, you know, call up your theater, you'd get the tickets, and you would go, and you would watch your favorite TV anime on the big screen, and it would be a triple feature, and that's why all the films are relatively short. And it's kind of funny, because now you could do just a triple feature of the Sailor Moon theatrical films in that same way, and why they haven't, I don't know. I mean, I would do it.
2: Viz actually did that, in a way, in a sense. They released the R movie first, but then they released S and Super S as a double feature when they released them in theaters. And we actually went and watched S and Super S in theaters in one sitting.
0: That's right. I forgot that they did the double feature. I I was thinking that was the individual screenings, but they did do that not too long ago, back when going to the movies was a thing that we could do um, in the before times. And I did not see them, though. I remember begging Austin and Tori and everyone to go, and then no one wanted to go with me, so I'm one of those weird people that I do not like to go to the movies by myself. I view it as a sign of of sadness if you go to the movies on your own. So I was just like, well, I guess I'll just watch it at home then, by myself, and not spend money. But yeah, this was released as a triple feature with those two films. Shook is a, as a is a soccer anime, but Super Baby, I cannot find much information even in Japanese. It seems to be one of those things that happened and we all just decided to forget, probably for the best. Um, then in 2000, Pioneer did the English adaptation Hearts and Ice, um, and that was released on VHS. That is the that is the release that a young Anna uh, <laughs> <laughs> became, the, as I said, the scourge of Walmart for. As yeah. I know, I probably would have done the same thing if I were old enough. Um, And then in October of 2018, as we said, Viz released a new remastered edition with a new dub with the current dub cast, which I like. I've heard some people are not fans of the new dub, uh, but I, having listened to a lot of the episodes that they've done and the Sailor Moon R movie, I have not watched the dub for this movie. I like it. I mean, I, I think it's much better than what we've gotten before, and I think it's perfectly fine if you want to watch Sailor Moon in a dub, Oh yeah, um, I have
2: I have a soft spot for the Deke dub because that's where I started with. But I do think the Viz is really really well done. I've actually met so many of the voice actresses from the Deke and from the new Viz, uh, and they're they're all such sweet people. And especially the the Viz ones; these these girls grew up on Sailor Moon, so they're just as big as fans as we are. And so they wanted to do the girls justice, and I think they did.
0: I have watched interviews with the new actors. I have seen some of the McCons. Um, there are quite a few of them who've done other things I really enjoy. So I, I think they were very well cast. And I will say, I do have a very funny story about one of the dub actors. So Amanda Miller plays Sailor <laughs> Jupiter. And she also plays a character, I think in Fire Emblem, whose name is Sully. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I met her at Animasement and I had her sign something. I was like, you know, it's funny. You play a character named Sully and I'm my name is Sully. And she just sort of looks at me and goes... Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh, I, I thought that that sounded so much more clever in my head. And I, I wanted to, after she signed what I brought to her, I turned around and I walked down the line. And I thought, I just hope God strikes me dead where I stand right here, right now in the middle of this convention. Um, so I, if Amanda Miller ever listens to this, I'm so sorry that I was incredibly awkward while you had uh, autographed my manga for me.
1: No, I'm sure she
0: just doesn't like Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> i mean ever okay here's the thing fire emblem for me is very aesthetically pleasing like it has that sort of like high fantasy like everyone is beautiful and wears elaborate costumes and then when the you play the actual game it's a lot of math and so it's just completely wasted on me like every time i've tried to get into fire emblem like the story will reel me in and it's like oh god math <sighs> I so would,
1: Yeah, I would watch, like, a theatric performance of Fire Emblem, per se, but not actually playing
0: games. I mean, games. give it another two or three years, I'm sure Nintendo's thinking about it. They've seen all of these Takarazuka review uh, stage plays, and they're probably thinking, hey, we have an IP that's just begging for it. Um, so yes, this movie has been released in Japanese and in English twice. Uh, the thing that's fun about this movie, and another reason why it's a great Christmas thing... Is because they went all out in Japan when this movie was released. So on November 29th of 1994, they had the Sailor Moon S Express, which was a train that ran from Shinjuku Station to Seibu Yuinchi Station to commemorate the release of the movie. And they had the voice actors of the inner senshi and uh, Kotono Mitsuishi who was Sailor Moon. And 1,500 fans that were selected from a pool of 50,000 by a lottery system, they get on the train and uh, Kotono Mitsuishi is the conductor. So she's like in character, like acting like as Usagi as a train conductor. So we get off the train and there was been, like an interview talk show thing with Mitsuishi and the other actresses. Um, They had a character show, like the sort of, like, Power Ranger sort of things you see. People go to Japan, like, with the big mascot heads. Um, And then they had Azakawa, who was the singer for the uh, song at the end of the film, Moonlight Destiny. She sang it live at the amusement park. So that was the first thing they had. And then in 94, on December 18th, they had a Sailor Moon-esque biggest Christmas party event where they had... The performers from the Sailor Moon musical, which was in its second run at this time, so they did, like, the Dark Kingdom Resurrection was the first musical, and then they did, like, the revised version, so that cast... um, Performed at the Christmas party, they had the voice actors and the the musical actresses in the same thing. We had Asakawa singing again. There was a special show with like the voice actors doing like a live dubbing session. The musical actresses performed some numbers from the song, and they were all dressed as Santa reindeer angels, shrine maidens in tuxedos and in dresses, so it was like a huge, <laughs> elaborate, ridiculous event which seems very on brand for the sailor Moon musicals like of course i I want to see anza in like a rudolph get up singing like la soldier like i would yes. live for that i would go
1: that sounds amazing although i'm not sure i would want usagi to be my train conductor
0: that is a very I terrifying know, me, is. It's so terrifying. <laughs> i'm just imagining you board the train and all of a sudden you hear the angelic voice of katona mitsui and she says as usagi i'm gonna warn you right now i don't know how a train works <laughs> So in March of twenty nineteen they also announced they were going to be doing a new Sailor Moon stage musical based on the manga that this film was based on, which is was written by the series creator Naoko Takeuchi. So the coronavirus we I have not been able to find much news about the new musical. Like, they were kind of, you know, coming out with a lot of stuff, and it was kind of superseded by the Sailor Moon ice show they've been working on. I'm i think that's so kind of...
2: disappointed that I hope it comes out. I really do hope the ice show comes out at some point.
0: I do, too, because that had so much, like, firepower behind it. Like, you had, like, an international cast of, like well-known ice skaters, you had uh, Takeuchi herself, like, having a really, like, large, creative input into the project. Like
2: I adore Evgenia Medvedeva. Like, she is, she is my favorite skater of all. I should. she was Usagi, yeah.
0: We should mention, yeah, she was Usagi, but the reason she was cast is because she did a Sailor Moon ice she routine that Takuchi saw and then drew her a special image and gave her flowers and everything. And just imagine being so blessed as yeah. to do like a Sailor Moon tribute and the creator herself like descends and gives you a personalized drawing of Usagi because of your routine. Wow. Like,
2: and so not only. I was gonna say, a, a one, another girl, uh, the an American skater, Mariah, I wanna say Nagisa. I know she was cast as Sailor Mars, which I thought was really cool because she's she's a very good American skater, and I thought that was really neat to have her doing Mars.
0: But yes, the Ice Show has been put on a hiatus, yeah. and I'm assuming this new musical has been too because I've not been able to find uh, many updates post the world falling apart. So I really do hope it doesn't become all those things that you know might have been that they do actually go through with this because I think of all of the movies, other than R, this could probably be one of the better stage show adaptations because uh, it focuses on Luna, and Luna is usually left out of the Sailor Moon stage musical. She's only been in a few, a handful of them. Uh, even the recent Nelke uh, production ones have left her out except for the Nogazaki 46. That Those productions had a Luna puppet, but other than that, she's usually... Uh, left out probably because it is very difficult to have luna portrayed on stage you either have an actress in a cat costume which is what they did for the first musical or you have a puppet and some people are, are taken out of the story by puppets personally i'm not i watched the the newer musical with the puppet and i thought it, it was fine but other people i i have read people say no i i want to see a cat and i've tried to explain you cannot train a cat to run around and talk to sailor moon it it's not going to happen if only. Yeah,
2: like... I've, I found the puppet was fine. Like, I really didn't... Uh, either way, I, I've never felt like it took away from it.
0: I am not a Frozen person, but I saw a picture of the the snowman puppet for the the Frozen stage play, and that thing terrified me. I can't imagine being a small child and seeing that thing, you know, walk among you on stage. So, <laughs> I mean, if they can make Luna work, then it's fine. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I mean, you know, they they have the whole Broadway show Avenue Q that's completely puppets. I think there's two humans in the entire show, and it's, you know, a, such a well-known musical, and it was so successful. And so, I mean, there's obviously good ways to go about using puppets.
0: All of this is to say that this movie is one of the important Sailor Moon theatrical releases. I would say that even though there's only three... Ah, uh, this one and R are pretty much the only ones that still kind of resonate in the fandom in any mm-hmm. way because the Super S movie is, or the Supers movie, excuse me. Um, it's it's very, it's there. It's it's a movie. It exists. Just think um, of candy and
2: cookies. It. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's
0: just you know, can't evil bonbon babies. Those I think oh are the my only God. thing. That we, the Forget bonbon babies. Are really the only thing that ever really stick out in my mind about that movie but then you have Sailor Moon R which is as we all know the gay one where yes. you know Mamoru's like jealous ex-boyfriend like comes back to earth and is like well look who you're going around with now and then this one which is where uh, a cat falls in love with a grown man and I feel like you know the two truest love stories of our generation are are these two films
2: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: I think it's important now we kind of delve into where this movie came from and kind of what shaped it into being one of the, the the better Sailor Moon theatrical releases. So it's based on the side story of the same name, The Lover of Princess Kaguya, that was written by Takeuchi and published in volume 11 of the manga. And basically after the Sailor Moon R movie came out, she was not satisfied with it and she wanted to regain some creative control over it and she mentions that there may have been some headbutting over it. Like, it's that very, like, professional, like, you know, there, I, I hope I wasn't in the way too much, or I hope I wasn't too stubborn, but you can kind of feel this tension between her and the, the creative staff at Toei on where they kind of wanted Sailor Moon to go, because as Moonies know very well, every adaptation of Sailor Moon, be it the original manga, the classic anime, the live-action version from 2003, uh, Crystal, the musicals, I I related a lot to Batman where it's like the Tim Burton movies are not the Christopher Nolan movies. Like they're the same (laughs) characters, but they're very different ideas of how the universe works. And that's kind of how Sailor Moon is. And the biggest tension usually is between the idea of what the manga should be and the idea of what the anime should be because they were kind of born at the same time. Sailor V was the original Takeuchi manga and then Toei approaches her to make an anime and she creates Sailor Moon to be the basis of the anime And they kind of go their separate ways from there. And there are a lot of things like Diana the Moon Fairy that are ideas she came up with for the anime that didn't go anywhere and kind of died on the cutting room floor. And basically, when it came time to do another theatrical film, she wrote this manga with the idea that it would be adapted into a film project. And... Because this film, if you have not seen it, it deals a lot with space travel for inspiration, she actually visited the Kennedy Space Center in Florida to watch the Space Shuttle Columbia launch with the Japanese astronaut Chiaki Mukai on board, who was the first Japanese woman in space, the first Japanese citizen to have two space flights, and the first Asian woman in space. Uh, I do find it very cute, though, that even though she's watching this historic event, the launching of the Space Shuttle Columbia, uh, the little side manga she writes about her experience she's very focused on the alligators that she saw <laughs> while she visited Florida <laughs> she mentions you can see the alligators there are alligators that you can uh, take pictures of she mentions a restaurant has alligator on the menu but she makes paints. to say oh no these are cattle alligator they're not the alligator even. she's very taken with the alligators and i find that very cute that, that like that's again really funny. You're watching the Space Shuttle, and she mentions, like, oh, I wish I could, you know, live here and watch the Space Shuttle every day. Like, it's such an amazing thing. She's disappointed that they have them so far away from the actual launch site for, you know, safety reasons, and she mentions that, but she just ends it all with, oh, yes, and there are these wonderful alligators that you can see in Florida. You can even eat them, but not those. They have a special kind of alligator that you can eat. Um, so she did her research. She came to America. She saw the launching of Columbia And she used that as inspiration for the manga when she decided to sit down and write it because she wanted to do a story about a spaceman.
1: Definitely seems like a lot of research went into the setting on her part. Like, going all the way to Florida just to, like, watch the the space launch for that, that's a lot of dedication to use that for inspiration for this film.
0: And she doesn't mention it, but I'm sure that, like... Toei or Kodansha, like, one of them probably, like, footed the bill or used it as a business expense. Right. Um. But but Takeuchi is also, uh, to put it politely, a woman of means. This is a woman who buys like, high-end designer fashion as a hobby and enjoys antiquing. Um, I, I can also see her being the sort of person that if she had the time in her schedule she would also, you know, take a vacation to Florida to watch the, the space shuttle launch. And her hobby of antiquing kind of comes into this... Because uh, the inspiration for uh, Princess Snow Kaguya and her Snow Dancers actually comes from uh, classic Art Deco, because she began collecting Art Deco antiques around this time. So the Snow Dancers are based on a sculpture by Teo Vos, who is a German uh, sculptor. And he based his original sculpture on Gertrude Leistekau. And I'm going to make sure that Austin puts a little graphic with the original artwork and Taku Takeuchi- Takeuchi's drawings of that artwork and then the character designs for the snow dancers and uh, princess snow Kaguya because it's kind of interesting to see where we get from the original artwork to her designs and kind of that that springboard of those steps into the process Um, she thought that the the statue which is called the ballerina it's incorrectly labeled in her notes as snow dancer but it's called the ballerina uh, she thought it had the image of a character dancing in the snowstorm, so that's where she got the idea of the snow dancers. And then Princess Snow Kaguya herself is based on the sculpture of Antonea by uh, Demetrey Kipardus. And the thing is in the manga, or it's the mixed manga release for this volume, she mentions that the name of the sculpture is Salome. And I looked at it, and I could not find any art deco pieces that match the drawing that she drew of the original antique that she purchased. And so I've done a lot of research into figuring out which particular sculpture she based Princess Snow Kaguya on, and I found out she is incorrect. The thing is is that Takeuchi says in the manga it's based on a sculpture of Salome, and it's not. Uh, Kipados did do a sculpture of Salome that's very similar to the one of Antonia. But if you look at the Antinea sculpture, it matches both the pose, the design, and the description of the color that Takeuchi gives in the manga for the piece that she purchased and based Princess Snow Kaguya on. So Antinea is from a Pierre Benoit novel, uh, Atlantida, that uh, Takeuchi incorrectly identifies as a statue of Salome. But if you look at the three together, both uh, the final design of Princess Snow Kaguya, the drawing Takeuchi does of the antique she bought, and the original Kiparu sculpture, they are basically the same. And she mentions it's a milky blue color, which the, usually is cast in a milky blue color. These are mass produced sculptures that would be bought by art collectors. So these are the sort of artistic roots that Takeuchi draws upon for uh, Princess Snow and the Snow Dancers. And if you are a fan of Sailor Moon, you know that. Uh, Takeuchi loves to reference high art, high fashion, mythology, and literature when she comes up with her characters. And I, I love to find those references because it kind of makes Sailor Moon in such a much more richer text than just, you know, she came up with these designs based on, you know, popular culture or something, that she kind of goes with these high art, high aesthetic things to come up with her, her characters and their uh, visual inspirations
2: like i I had never known which or what she had based them on and looking at them like i can completely see it especially like the snow dancer and like i i love it i think that's just so great to you know you, you get inspiration from anywhere and so i love how much research she does into you know like you said she doesn't just take it from pop culture like she she does research and she you know looks for the best like exactly what she's envisioning
0: and even the story itself i mean the name of the main villain princess snow kaguya is taken from um the story of the bamboo cutter which is usually called princess kaguya mm-hmm. which is a very famous japanese fairy tale and some consider it to be one of the like earliest science fiction stories It is about uh, a bamboo cutter who goes into the forest and he cuts up in bamboo and he finds this tiny, magical, glowing baby who they he takes back to his wife and they raise as a daughter and she turns out to be a princess from the moon and her people come on a magical chariot from the moon to retrieve her and people usually interpret it as a sort of like UFO story sometimes the sort of like ancient aliens thing, which kind of goes into Takeuchi's whole deal with like the moon was this beautiful, you know, extraterrestrial civilization at one point, but it has a sort of high fairy tale glamour to it the sort of mix of science fiction and fantasy that makes up the, the overall feeling of Sailor Moon and I kind of like how she draws in this very famous folk tale and kind of makes us think about it because there are four characters who could be considered princess Kaguya. There is the titular princess snow Kaguya. There is, uh, Luna who in her human form refers herself as princess Kaguya. There is Himeko whose name, you know, means literally princess or princess girl. And the, uh, uh, calls Hime as a nickname. And then we have Sailor Moon who is literally the princess of the moon so this is kind of like, this mythology kind of weaves itself into all of these characters and from all of these sort of points into the narrative.
2: I will say, I saw the, the animated movie, Tale of Princess Kaguya, a few years ago, and seeing it after I've seen Sailor Moon, I was like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> like, I remember like things would pop, like pop out at me that I would remember from the Sailor Moon movie.
0: I mean, I, I love that movie. It is the last hurrah from Takahata. It is a beautiful adaptation of uh, of a wonderful story. I do love the, the story of, of the bamboo cutter. It's one of my favorite fairy tales. And I love it because, again, it is sort of like this fairy tale version of a science fiction story. I think in the original it's mentioned the prince is like, oh, I was banished from the moon and my punishment was to be on Earth, but now my people have come to retrieve me. And I just, that idea of like, Thank you for taking care of me when I was on Earth. I have to go back to my people. There's just something very lovely about that. It feels like a classic science fiction story through the lens of a fairy tale. And again, that's kind of how I feel about Sailor Moon. It is all about celestial bodies and outer space and alien invaders, but it's put through this high art, uh, high fantasy gloss. You know, the alien invaders are not, you know, they don't come with ray guns and, and machines. They are like the Black Moon clan who all dress... Like fashion models, and their spaceships are shaped like Moravian stars. It's very wild and out there, and freaky and fun. <laughs>
2: な
0: So we've talked about Naoko Takeuchi and her inspiration for making the manga and her reasons for it and what she kind of wanted this film to be, but we haven't really talked a lot about the director. And this is not the same director as the Sailor Munaro movie. This is uh, Hiroki Shibata, and he became a trainee at Toy Animation after graduating from the Yokohama Broadcasting Technical School, which is now the Japan Institute of the Moving Image. Uh, where he became an assistant director on Dr. Slump, starting with uh, episode 46 from Penguin Village with Love. Shibata joined Toei after seeing a magazine ad before graduating from Yokohama Broadcasting, having originally planned to go into live-action film. Shibata stated his goal was to create a masterpiece like Little House on the Prairie. So the thing that he was really inspired by was Little House on the Prairie, which kind of fits with Japan's fascination with rustic Western literature and, and you know, things like Heidi, Girl of the Alps, and Anne of Green Gables. Uh, his daughter, Hikari Shibata, is also now a manga artist, so we're going to see a lot of people who uh, there's sort of a family line of going into anime and manga. So things Shibata has worked on, he has been a director for Bobo Bo Bobo Bobo, a storyboard uh, artist and director for Digimon. He has directed episodes of Dragon Ball Z. He has directed episodes of Precure, a.k.a. Clear Force. I'm putting that in there specifically to Vex Tori. And he's also done episodes of Gegage no Kitaro. Um... He also did an interview where he gave a lot of director's notes. It was, I think it was like a commentary, and this is all coming from the wonderful Tuxedo Unmasked, which is a great Sailor Moon resource site, especially if you're wanting to learn more about the Japanese side of Sailor Moon's creation. Um,
2: yeah, I kickstarted his book, but we haven't heard anything about it yet
0: yeah we're still waiting on that book i'm uh i'm patiently waiting for it to happen i'm (laughs) sure i'm sure it'll happen eventually getting a book from being an idea to being a real thing is not as easy as i think many people believe it is it is not as easy as simply putting your your self published stuff on amazon it is if you want a real book it takes a lot of effort and time oh Mm -hmm. yeah. So, one thing I find interesting is that uh, they use blue carbon when transferring over the outlines onto the cells for coloring. And I think that's why the film looks so cold. Like, I look at this movie and I I feel physically cold.
2: Yeah, that would make sense. (laughs) Like, yeah, watching this movie, it's the perfect winter movie because it's cold.
0: I mean, there's snow everywhere, the sky is almost, like, uniformly gray in every shot, Um, even when it's not, like, snowing, and even when, like, Princess Snow Kagyu and her snow dancers are not themselves attacking, when it's just people going about day-to-day life in Tokyo, like, there's just something about this movie, and maybe it is the way they, they animated it in particular, that just makes me feel physically cold, like, it makes me want to bundle up with blankets while I watch it, um... And and I think that makes the shots, like, when we have the girls, like, sitting together under the kotatsu, I think that's what makes it, like, extra cozy, is, like, he knows how to balance the colors in this movie, where whenever they're outside, all the colors are very washed out and gray, and it's overwhelmed with, like, white, and maybe the most uh, poignant color in the frame is a lot of blue, and then when they're inside, like, when they're all together studying or talking together, like all the colors are warmer like everything just sort of pops again and that's what makes it feel like there's this very sharp delineation between the indoors and the outdoors um and i like that because it gives this film like a texture and a, and a feeling to it that i think that a lot of animation especially of this kind of caliber that's like we have to put this out as sort of an advertisement for our television show can lack um, there's a lot more sort of artistic License taken on the part of Shibata and takeuchi in both the plot, which I think is more uh, heavy than the other Sailor Moon theatrical releases, and then the the actual direction, which feels a little more sophisticated than, especially the third movie. I think Ikuhara did his own thing with Sailor Moon R. I I don't think we can deny that that is an Ikuhara film whatsoever. Oh yeah. Um, but I think Shibata also puts his sort of directorial stamp and his sort of created creative ethos into this movie too so i we can also maybe through shibata talk about the one thing that makes this a christmas movie and the reason we're talking about it is the infamous tuxedo mask santa claus scene yes mm. so according to again tuxedo amassed who translated all of this information from shibata's commentary um uh, the producer iria azuma he was the one that said Uh, let's put in a Santa Claus tuxedo mask thing because it's going to be near December when we release this and he wanted to have a scene that had something to do with Christmas and New Year's and that's why we get this scene that really just feels like it comes out of nowhere. It it is very much uh, the anime tuxedo mask where he throws a rose does the least amount of work and then vanishes Um, as, as someone who cites uh, Tuxedo Mask as one of his favorite characters, I have to tell people, it's like, no, if you read the manga or watch the musicals, he's so he, he actually does things. He's way more useful. In...
2: He's way more yes.
0: useful there. He has powers, he fights, he helps you and then doesn't just run away. Um, but in the anime, he's very much the sort of Adam West Batman, I am here. I will say some ridiculous corny lines, most of which his voice actor, uh, Toru Furia, just ad-libbed on the spot, and that's why they sound so <laughs> ridiculously over-the-top and so <laughs> strange. Um, in this movie, he he shows up on a blimp in a Santa sleigh with reindeer, he whips off a Santa costume, he throws a top at one of the Snow Dancers, and the Snow Dancer is distracted long enough for Sailor Moon to, like, launch a counterattack, and that's all he does. That is, the extent of his uh, aid in the battle is throwing a top and being a distraction.
2: But it's one of the best entrances (coughs) ever.
0: (laughs) True. Uh, Of all of the tuxedo mask entrances, and there are many of them, and some of them are very ludicrous. I think one of my favorites is when he just, like, turns around and swivels in a barber chair out of nowhere. Um, But this is definitely, like, number one for me, is pretending to be Santa Claus on the blimp, whipping off the costume, and then... I mean, just... You gotta give him the showmanship. Like, if you're gonna be a hero he has the act down pat he has the super sentai thing down absolutely <clears throat> apparently like, the other ideas oh go ahead will sorry i was
1: gonna say that um even like this is my first time watching this film but that scene of him entering i've seen
0: but like many times before online it's just that oh, iconic yeah. it, it is a very popular sort of like meme or like i i know pretty much every Mooney uses it for their like christmas thing like yep. everyone's going to tweet let's tuxedo mask santa <laughs> Every year on December twenty fifth, and I just love the music, like the little like the the chorus singing jingle bells and the yes! sort of like elevator music. <laughs> like you have this epic battle, and then you have this like sort of like easy listening jingle bells interrupting the whole thing. Like it, it's very well done. Like it's it's not like one of those I can't believe they did this. Like they knew they were going for a comedic moment. I'm sure they're like this is a movie for kids. Like we're having these really creepy ice people fighting the sailor guardians um let's put a little levity into the situation like if we're going to acknowledge it's christmas but let's do it in, like a fun way that kind of like eases the tension i think it does it perfectly apparently their other ideas were they could have him fly down on a kite because that's something you do at japanese new years uh with skis on his feet or he would show up playing hanetsuki which is a traditional game of like japanese badminton um, I, I I kind of like flying in on a kite with skis, but I don't think that beats Santa Blimp. Now so, I, I'm
2: trying to remember. I know it's when he's evil tuxedo mask, but there's the one episode where uh, Ray and and I can't remember his name in Japanese Chad uh, goes to the, the, the ski, ski slope. place. Yeah, so he he does ski. I think <laughs> at one point in the series.
0: Yes, he does. See. We, <laughs> we watched that. Uh, I, I did like a Christmas anime episodes thing and I use that as the, the quote unquote <laughs> Christmas episode for Sailor Moon only because there is that wonderful music video that someone did of sailor mars's actress singing last christmas and they did a music video to that episode so i consider it the sailor moon christmas episode sailor moon like christmas that
2: album it's not christmas unless you listen to the sailor moon christmas album
0: i i have given austin strict directions here are the files from the sailor moon christmas album this is the incidental music for this episode then austin like, i'm
2: telling you now you better have when the saints go marching in in here <laughs> that is basil's all-time favorite christmas song now
0: because in japan i I think they do think that when the saints go marching in is a christmas song so you just have all the girls of the sailor moon cast breaking out into a rousing chorus of oh when the saints come marching in and it is wonderful i I mean i'm sure i mean the saints i should hope he was included in that group (laughs) right i mean even though there isn't like a sailor moon christmas episode i usually watch the the ski episode and the, and the uh, ice skating episode around this time of year and oh, this yeah. movie um but there is still like a weird amount of sailor moon christmas stuff there have been multiple christmas ornaments and trees and uh the petite figures they did like santa versions of those oh, yeah. the um, sailor moon
2: Store does. Um, they currently have christmas acrylic stands
0: I've seen those. They've had uh, several pieces of key art of Sailor Moon Christmas stuff. Um, I know Sailor Moon drops it like a Christmas special I thing because... I that
2: app so much. I, I love I, the art.
0: I never played it because I I can't get into phone games for whatever reason, but I did love it because I would use the art to make like greeting cards and stuff. I remember last year right. I used... The, the Christmas art to make a little Christmas card for another friend of mine who was a Moony and that same friend, uh, my friend Akira, she actually did a Sailor Moon Santa cosplay group oh, that's one awesome. year <laughs> where they all wore like little female Santa suits in the color of their respective uh, guardian. Aww. She was she was Neptune. That's um,
2: awesome
0: yes so there there is a if you wanted to have a very sailor moon christmas it is not outside of the realm of possibility to have like a sailor moon themed christmas anything but yes so that is that is the entire reason that we are doing this episode at this time of year and while we have not done our first um because we're doing the movies out of order is because tuxedo mask is santa claus for a good five seconds in this movie and that is enough to make it a christmas movie in my book yep yep 皆様、Said before this film has been released on at least three separate occasions at least in the languages that we're most familiar with on this podcast it has been released in other things like french and italian and all of that um but because there are so many characters we have almost all of the sailor guardians uh save for saturn she's not here um and we have tuxedo mask and we have the cats and all of these characters uh and there are three separate casts the original japanese the uh, first, Pioneer dub and the Viz dub. I've decided, just so that we're not here for three hours, um, <laughs> that we'll be focusing on the original Japanese cast and we'll be focusing on Luna because she is sort of the main character of this particular film and on our new characters, Kakeru, Himeko, and Princess no Kaguya because this film actually has kind of a pedigree in terms of voice actors. So Luna is, of course, Keiko Han. Um, she very famously plays both Luna and Queen Beryl in Sailor Moon. Um, According to her, there were many times when she would actually have to, like, watch herself when she switched back and forth between playing Luna and playing Queen Beryl, and would actually use one voice for the other, Um, and I find that very funny, and there's all sorts of, like, speculation as to why they cast her as both roles, and my answer is they were probably just, like wanting to condense the cast or they thought she would do a good job i i've seen all sorts of theories like oh they're trying to disguise that tuxedo mask and mamaru are the same person or oh they want to tie in like sailor moon's like closest confidant with her biggest villain and it's like i think it really was just she had a good voice for both characters yeah. i i cannot justify any of the sort of wild fan theories as to why uh han voices both Beryl and luna man i would um, love to
1: see just some of like or see Queen Beryl say some of Luna's lines <laughs> or vice versa. That would just that would be hilarious. Be amazing.
0: I'm sure someone can edit it. Like, I'm sure somebody has can, you know, fire up the old Windows Movie Maker and, and make your wish come true. Uh, Keiko Han also comes to Animazement, our home con, quite a bit. And the funny thing is, I have not been able to see her once. All the times I go to Animazement, like, some something happens or something conflicts, and I have not been able to get her autograph. And All right, so, next time
2: she comes, we're going. I'm skipping Momocon. I'm sorry, Jess. We'll go.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I'm, like, with the pandemic, I'm like, look. I realize that life is short and time is precious and I must, I cannot let this glaring omission in my Sailor Moon collection continue to haunt me. I am going to get Han's autograph on something for Queen Beryl because I am more attached to Beryl as a character than I am Luna. I do love her as Luna, but like her Queen Beryl is one of my favorite anime performances.
2: I will say I appreciate Tobias for getting me the Sailor Moon's voice actress. Uh, Oh God, I can't think of her name.
0: My, uh, I yes. waited in line twice for her I waited in line for three hours on two separate occasions for that woman and I, it was worth it Like, I F- was de- very
2: lucky I went to the con with him that weekend and didn't go there because Tobias if, if Tobias had not been able to get me that autograph I would have left I would have been up in North Carolina South Carolina whichever one it is And I would have been been there with you guys.
0: just, my, my depression cured, my anxiety healed, my life blessed. Like it was, it was so worth it. I think Tobias took a picture of me receiving my autograph from her. It was just, it was a very magical moment for me. And just, it, 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 I did not think I would ever get the opportunity. And when it happened, like it, It was just absolutely magical, and I I really hope that I get to have a similar experience with Keiko Han because I do deeply, genuinely love her Queen Beryl. She is also famous for playing Lala Sune in Gundam and Queen Prometheum in uh, the Maytale Legend OVA for Galaxy Express 999. Um, She also, the interesting thing, she's a very interesting woman. She also is an astrologer like a Western style astrologer and she's very into horoscopes and has written several books on astrology and she was inspired to get into astrology after reading the works of Tomoake Nagare, which is a, he is a Japanese astrologer. I cannot find much information on him. He has written a few books on astrology and apparently she got to co-write a book with him, Um, but she is very into astrology. That's like her other big thing. Like if you look up her like information, it's like voice actor. Uh, You know, voice professional, astrologer. It's a very, I'm sure she has a very interesting business card.
2: That's awesome.
0: <laughs> she dreamed of being an actress since she was a child and wanted to perform on Broadway. Uh, she graduated from the Nihon University College of Arts, focusing on theater, but was invited by the voice actor Kenji Utsume to try voice acting. Originally, there was like this sort of separation between voice acting and like stage work, um, and she was kind of worried, like maybe this will you know divert my career, but it didn't really have much of an effect. She still did stage shows while she was doing the voices in Gundam. Um, but during her time in Gun- uh, working on Gundam, she took a week-long trip to New York City and she saw eight Broadway shows in wow. the span of oh a my week. God. Wow. And overwhelmed by how much work went into mounting a Broadway production, she decided to focus her career on voice work. <laughs> <laughs> she apparently was like, I saw the Broadway shows and I was like, I do not think I can do this. And then she decided to focus her acting career more on the voice acting side. <laughs> um, her first role was Momoe in Orewa uh, which also had, uh, Tuxedo Mask's voice actor Toa Furia, as Yoshiyuki. Her first recurring role was Yuri in Children's Sentai Badarok, and her first main role was Angie Arrington in Angie Girl, aka Joheka no Putti Anji. She also worked extensively with World Masterpiece Theater, doing many voices for classic children's literature characters, and it was one of her favorite jobs. Uh, she frequently, in interviews, talks about how much she loved doing world masterpiece theater which was a very long running show and part of again that sort of very interesting like 70s and 80s uh thing in japan the sort of you know renewed fascination with western uh children's literature again anne of green gables alice in wonderland the wizard of oz these sorts of anime adaptations they're very well known from that time period And uh, the voice actress Megumi Han is also her daughter. So uh, there's this very cute interview in Japanese I was reading through uh, where it's her and her daughter talking about their careers and what they've learned from each other. It's very sweet. So, moving from Keiko Han, we go to another one of my favorite voice actors, Eiko Masuyama, a.k.a. Fujiko Mine, a.k.a. Cutie Honey, a.k.a. Jane Jetson in the Japanese dub of the Jetsons. (laughs) Um, So, truly a woman of many talents. She is the voice of Princess Snow Kaguya. um, And, again, one of the all-time greats of Japanese voice acting. As a child, Masuyama actually had a sort of speech impediment where her speech was very slow, and a teacher told her she would never speak properly then at age 12 she joined the children's theater company in hopes of helping her voice and she worked with various theater troupes throughout her young adulthood And in the 1960s she joined aoni production and became a voice actress um in 2017 she received the service award of merit during the tokyo anime award festival and now she mostly does like narration work in anime and and things like that but she will occasionally reprise her well-known characters so again just one of the like all-time goddesses of Japanese voice acting again. Just for being Fujiko Mine and Cutie Honey, I mean, imagine imagine being that talented. Imagine being that iconic as a voice actor. I'm just imagine
2: being told you would never speak properly and then to make your livelihood about speaking.
0: And that's just one thing I find very interesting is, you know, these people who... They they start in like <clears throat> stagecraft or stage acting, and then they become these massive voice talents when they never really thought that they would. Because neither Keiko Han or uh, Eiko Masuyama really thought that they would be voice actors; as they thought they would be in like the theater world. And again, like you said, her teacher saying you will never speak properly, and then her acting is based entirely in the way she can control her voice. I think it's just very fascinating and it's, it's a it's a time capsule to a certain point in like acting in japan where uh voice acting is not this sort of industry like it is now where people go specifically to be voice actors it was people from radio people from the stage who kind of you know move into into voice acting as it becomes a bigger field as people sort of recruit them into it right so, next we have, uh, Kakarou Uzura, which is our, uh, Spaceman character, and I do love that, uh, Luna calls him Spaceman at the very end, I love yeah. you, Spaceman. <laughs> I, I, I do, like, I, it is kind of, like, romantic, and also just the word Spaceman is, is very amusing to me, so, it, yeah. it, I just keep thinking of, like, David Bowie's, like, hello, space boy, like... <laughs> <laughs> now, I feel like that song should start playing after Luna uh, calls uh, Kakadu Spaceman. Um, but he is played by Masami Kikuchi. The biggest role he's known for is Keiichi uh, Morisato in Ah My Goddess. So, you know, one of the most famous harem anime in existence. He is he is that guy. Um, he is also Joe Kido in Digimon along with tons of other voices. He's kind of like a jobbing actor for Digimon. Um, he is Tenshi and Tenshi Muyo. He is Sonic in the Sonic OVA that we have covered and that episode will come out eventually, but he is Sonic. He is one of the first voice actors for Sonic. Um, He is also another episode we did. He is Prince Haru in the Mario anime movie. And his most big name recent role is uh, uh, Monaka in Dragon Ball Super. uh, Also known as the guy with Pointy breasts. I, that's also not a not a joke or anything. That is the character introduces himself as, "Yes, I have abnormally pointy breasts."
2: Wow, I have not watched much of Super at all, so I do not know that character yet.
0: Everything I know about Super comes like secondhand, and every time I learn something new about, I'm like, "Wow!"
2: Oh, all I really know is, a don't thing shoot. Not he's watch. not black. God. I, I, I
0: view I view Dragon Ball Super as kind of like the latter half of the Simpsons where I just keep rewatching like everything original and when I get to a certain point. It's like, I know it keeps going, but for me personally it ended here. And I'm yeah. okay yeah, with that. It's yeah. we don't have to keep going. You know, I think the world has had enough of Goku's adventures. Let him just retire to his turnip farm.
2: Yeah.
0: So originally Kaguchi wanted to be an actor, like Everyone else, but was worried about how stable his career would be as a freelancer. A friend gave him a pamphlet for the Troubadour Music Office, who manages voice actors and singers. And after sc- discovering that uh, Tarako, who is currently the voice of dongan Rumpo's Monokuma um, and Marco in Chibi Maruko-chan, uh, was represented by the agency, he decided to audition, and he landed the role of Warrior Three in Aru Battler Dumbain. <laughs> so he had that prestigious first role as warrior three his first major role though was mike Coyle in ninja senshi to- uh, tobikage which has now been licensed by Discotech. if you watch the most recent Discotech day uh, it is coming down the pipeline um so yeah you will be able to hear his first major role when you get that blu-ray set from discotheque and so finally we have himeko Nayotake, who is uh, sort of kakaru's girlfriend in this film the woman going into space and she is played by Megumi Hayashibara. Hayashibara is most well-known, especially on this podcast, as the voice of Rei Ayaname in Evangelion. She's also the voice of female Raman in Raman Half, Jessie slash Musashi in Pokemon, and Faye Valentine in Cowboy Bebop. So again, we have one of the, like, all-time greats of voice acting, sort of the the new class of famous voice actors coming in to do this film. Hayashibara's sort of origin story to getting into anime voice acting is that she saw Farewell to Battle Spaceship Yamado in Elementary School, which was her first introduction to the idea of voice acting and inspired her curiosity for the profession. She also participated in a fan event for Galaxy Express 999, where she played Maytel, and she earned praise from Masako Nozawa, a.k.a. Goku, a.k.a. Astro Boy. So uh, Hayashibara had a childhood love of anime and acting, but her parents disapproved of it. And at one point, she actually believed that anime characters lived in the real world. So they were not voiced by actors. They were simply, you know, existing as cartoon people in the real world. And so seeing um, uh, Farewell to Yamato uh, as a child was the thing that introduced to the idea of like, oh, no, these are actors playing characters. And these are not, quote unquote, real people who exist in the world that we live in. And I think that's very cute. It is. I mean if only um, so originally she wanted to be a nurse and her only acting experience was being in an English language production of Alice in Wonderland where she was Alice so she uh, does speak English she was active in her school's English club and on the same day as submitting the application for a nursing school, she had a run-in with a snippy receptionist at the school, and she went to a bookstore to cool off, like she was kind of frustrated by the whole thing, and she found an advertisement offering free anime voice acting auditions at the talent agency Arts Vision. And inspired by how frustrated she was by the receptionist being rude to her, she decided to audition. So the reason she <laughs> became Rei Ayaname is purely out of spite. <laughs> I'll get back at you, receptionist. Just watch I me.
2: I mean, that just sounds so perfect. <laughs>
0: So several months after submitting a demo tape, she received confirmation of passing the first stage of the audition and eventually decided to continue training as a nurse while voice acting. Her first professional role was Himiko Shinobibe in Mashin Hiro Waturu. Um, And even though she is fully qualified as a nurse, she has never worked as a nurse. But if she wanted to leave voice acting, she could go become a nurse.
2: I mean, that's a good, good plan.
0: And she also worked as a DJ at an ice skating rink while in nursing school. Again, tying into the winter theme we have going on here. And she actually drew a little autobiographical manga based on her life for the uh, Anime V magazine. So, again, a woman of many talents. I just love that, you know, she did an English language production of Alice in Wonderland with English as her second language. She has a full nursing degree and could become a nurse. And the reason she is a voice actress is, again, sheerly out of spite. (laughs) Like, purely because this one woman was mean to her at the nursing receptionist thing, and then she decides to become a voice actress because of an advertisement she found in a bookstore.
2: Okay, she may be my new hero.
0: <laughs> I, I asked Austin, I was like, I know you guys did the Ava episode, so I'm sure you've went through all these these people's biographies. He's like, no, I did not know any of this. So oh, I'm wow. glad that I did all this extra research, and, you know, we found out this amazing information about her. <laughs> Film a few times before and i'm sure anna has too but will you said this was your first time viewing the sailor moon s movie
1: yeah i um hadn't seen it before um i haven't seen any of the sailor moon movies at least to my memory to be honest um i'm more so familiar with bits from the show from tsunami days uh but as like a movie like only like you said only like an hour i actually did enjoy it it was very refreshing to see like luna as like a main Or quote-unquote main character in this movie uh so i had a lot of fun watching her i guess develop as it went on
0: yeah i think that this film does a great job of and i don't mean this as a joke humanizing luna because so much of the show is her kind of being either like the scold or the exposition machine she's there to explain what's going on and tell everyone to transform right or she's there to say usagi stop being a crybaby go study you know, stop eating so much. Like, and I think this film really allows her to be her own character with her own sort of, like, desires and wants and dreams that we don't really get to see in the series or in the manga. She is kind of, you know, just there to scold and to explain things in both of those. I'm glad that Takuji took the time to expand her character some more.
2: Yeah, and, like, I... It's it's funny because, you know, someone that that has followed Moon for a long time... You know, I know of, it's Luna and Artemis, they get together, they have a baby, like that, they're the ones that are supposed to, but you don't ever think, oh, what if it didn't happen, or what, you know, they didn't have to get together, you know, Luna fell in love with someone else, completely opposite of Artemis, and so I think that was, that was really, it made me feel really bad for Artemis, and, but also it's just like, you see how much he does love her, that... You know, he's like, no, I'm going to let her do what she wants to be happy. And so it, it's kind of like, sometimes I feel like there's not a whole lot of, like, relationship um, development with, like, sometimes even Usagi and, and Mamaru, But you really don't see a whole lot of relationship development with Luna and Artemis. And so I, that's one thing I really liked with this movie is that you got to see a lot more of them and that, like, how that evolves.
0: Right, and I've seen some fans who kind of interpreted it as like, oh, Artemis is a bad boyfriend or whatever, but if you watch this movie, like, he's very attentive to Luna's needs, he seems kind of, like, aware that she's not, you know, quite right at the moment, and I think it's kind of interesting because this series is so focused on, like, fated love, like, you know, Usagi and Mamoru are fated to be together, they are sort of soulmates, and... it it kind of turns that on its head, like, Luna's allowed to have feelings for someone who's not the only other talking cat she knows. Um, I I think it would be, and again, it's like, oh, I guess you have to be with the other talking cat, the other talking space cat. Um, But here, it's like, no, she's allowed to to have feelings for another person and and explore those feelings. And uh, again, as much as I kind of, you know, glibly say, oh, it's about a cat falling in love with with a human man, like, it's more about the idea of, like, what does it mean to feel an emotional attachment or to feel love for someone? And what do we do when that person maybe doesn't return our love? Um, the whole speech Lusagi gives to Princess Snow Kagyu at the end, like, you know, that's part of what being human is, is, is being vulnerable, of saying, like, to say, I will love this person, I will accept the fact they may not love me back. And I think in a show where so much of the story is, again, fated love. The kind of playing with that is important. I mean, we have seen things like Usagi have crushes on other people or like Mamoru dating Rei, but we never really it, it always feels like it's going to go back to at the end of the day Usagi and Mamoru will be together that they have to be, it is fated. Um and this kind of says well even if in this universe there is such a thing as like a soulmate a, of a fated love like Part of what the joy of humanity is, is feeling love and also understanding that love is not something that we take from people, it's something we give to people.
2: Right.
1: Right. I think Luna does a really good job at kind of explaining that to Sagi when they're outside the observatory um after luna goes to visit when he's in the the hospital bed or the Mm -hmm. i guess well not a hospital bed but his own bed in the observatory i guess he just lives there um but she does a really good job at it kind of explaining that concept to her and it gets kind of honestly really emotional in a way Mm -hmm. when luna's like especially coming from a character like luna who we as an audience member like come to respect and see her viewpoint on a lot of things
0: I mean, like I said in the show, she's so much of like the sort of mother figure to Usagi. I mean, Usagi does have her own actual mother, but Luna's the one who usually is the one saying, "Oh, like here's the lesson of this week. Like, do this. Like, study more, or, or don't be jealous, or whatever." And like seeing Luna, like again, give him more humanity of, "Oh, Luna has feelings. She makes mistakes. She she has this rich inner life that we usually don't get to see." I think is is a great story for the movie and you know even the director shibata he said that the story of sailor moon revolves around the concept of love that is given and not that which is taken and i think even snow princess kaguya or princess snow kaguya i will i will reverse those names i try not to um it's very difficult not to um her whole thing is like i want to freeze the world and collect it i want it to be something i take um and i think that also plays in the whole like you know, Takeuchi is getting really into antiquing and you have her main villain who is based on an actual <laughs> antique saying, I want to collect things like they're baubles. Um, I think that's that's kind of funny, but I do think this idea of like, I want this thing, I want this object, and love is seen as not an object, it is seen as a feeling and something that is shared or given in, in this movie. And I think that kind of, even though uh, Princess No Kaguya feels like She's sort of this external threat. Like, she doesn't really tie into Luna's story other than being the thing that's making Kakadu sick. Uh, That jewel that falls from the meteorite is the thing that's infecting him. But other than that, like, she just feels like sort of a side antagonist. She really does feel like Sailor Moon's antagonist in this movie unless Luna's. And this is Luna's story. Right. And I do think, again, if the movie were given a longer runtime or maybe... Uh, the original manga, have more space to expand upon it, we could maybe find a better way to tie in Princess Kaguya to Usagi and Luna and not just have it feel like Usagi and Princess Kaguya and then Luna and her relationship with Kakeru. But I don't think it's necessarily, like, a bad way of doing the plot. Like, I do think you do need a villain. It just does not feel like defeating the villain is necessarily the resolution of this story because it is luna's story right <laughs> i mean it is after the defeat of princess snow uh that luna does her her human transformation and talks to kakeru and they aren't really related to one another i mean they are kind of but not in a way that really feels like it it resolves the plot it really does feel like these are two stories that are happening happening concurrently and not uh, together
2: yeah i completely
1: agree yeah it's like on one hand you have your uh like regular sailor moon-esque story going on but then you also have like this more like emotional luna development story going on at the same time it's more so like a, a vehicle for that plot if that makes sense
0: right and i wonder if they do this as a musical which the musical will be longer um, even with the addition of songs, which will you know lengthen the runtime, I wonder if they'll you know maybe add more to the story that either d- d- puts more linking tissue between uh, Princess Snow Kaguya and her invasion, and Kakadu and Luna's relationship. Because I, I think, think there I is a know. lot to explore there, and a lot to kind of relate to this idea of unrequited love or how people view love. Because even though. Princess No Kaguya's motivations are nothing to do with love, like her objectification of things, like I want the earth as a collectible thing, as a bauble, as an object. Uh, I think that can tie into how some people view love as a conquest, as something to to capture or to collect rather than to share. And I would I would be interesting to, interested to see if there's a way that the musical could expand on this, because I think this is one of the richer stories of the sailor moon uh theatrical films i would say that this and sailor moon r have a lot of interesting ideas that really just cannot be explored within their very short run times i mean they're great hour long stories but i i feel like every time i watch this movie i i keep thinking i want more i want more about these people and how they feel and like i feel like kakadu is a very interesting character who you know, we get a good idea of who he is, but we don't really get to sit with him as much as we as we maybe would like because we have to go back to the girls and then fighting or then figuring out what's going on or who this villain is. I mean, even Himeko, uh, the, the, the sort of rival for Luna's affections, who, who does not, uh, is not aware of that. This is a woman who thinks that Luna is just a cat. Everyone thinks that Luna is just a cat, and that kind of does add a, a slightly comedic edge to it, but she's sort of the other woman... And even though she's going into space and, and Takeuchi does all this research into, you know, going into space, we don't really even get to spend a lot of time with her. And I feel like she's kind of underdeveloped in that way, even though uh, she's one of the main characters in the movie.
2: Yeah, I, I think it would be fun to see what they would expand on with a musical. Because I mean, we've seen that they've they've changed a lot with different all the different musicals, you know, they've changed a bit with, with like, the generals and and everything, and so it'd be really neat to see what they they could come up with.
0: Especially if they want to do, like, the full cast of Sailor Guardians, because the the Outers are in here, uh, save for uh, Saturn, and even they feel a little, like, extra like they're it's nice they're there like i'm glad we get the scenes with them we get and they do kind of join in the final battle but i could very easily see them cut from it too right um they're they're kind of just there because in japan they had been introduced by this point although anna you mentioned that when this aired on toonami this might have been the first that american fans got to see of the or at least a good majority of american fans got to see of the outer senshi
2: yeah, like I, because I got the movie and I was really excited watching it because I was like, oh, I know that these are the Outer Senshi, but I don't know them yet. Like, because I knew because S had not been aired on Tsunami. I don't think I think they were still doing original and R, and so this was my first introduction to them and as Beusa as a Sailor Senshi, and it like I kind of really latched on to what little interaction we had with them. But I'm like, I need to know more about them. Like, I know of them, but I haven't been able to watch them yet. And So it was really neat to see just what little bit we could of them.
0: Well, very shortly you would find out that they were uh, uh, cousins. Of course. I mean, they don't really have, like, any sort of romantic interaction here. So I, I, I don't think you would have to really censor anything for them in this dub. I've not seen the Pioneer dub. I've only seen... Uh, bits of the viz dub and every time i've watched this film before it's been the subtitled version but
2: yeah i don't think they changed anything at all really because there really wasn't much like you said in this one with that so but yeah that was
1: all they really do is drink coffee and
0: then fight and then drink coffee coffee, yeah Yeah, they're (laughs) in that they're in that same coffee shop twice and i mean i guess that's just their haunt like you know you know you find a good place you stick with it um But yeah, the outers are kind of they're they're here and they do join in the final battle, but they're not. Again, I I could see a musical version being like you know we we can't afford to have all of these actresses and not use them that much, so either we have to expand their roles or we have to cut them. Yeah, I Um, can see them being mm cut. And I think a lot of it too is this was a movie made to sort of advertise the anime and they knew the anime fans would be coming to watch it. So I'm sure they're like, we cannot do this movie and not have them. We have to have them at least for like two or three scenes because we know that these kids are going to kind of demand that. Um, Which again, I think is is sort of a slight uh, hindrance to the movie because you can kind of tell where their parts are kind of like, okay, Toei wants us to do this. Um, or even if they're in the original manga, if they're not in there that much. We have to kind of do this and that. Like, you can kind of see a little bit of the tension between Takeuchi and the production staff on, like, how much they can follow her manga and then how much they kind of are beholden to Toei. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think it this damages the film or, or does it any worse, but I think as I the more I watch it, the more I can kind of see some of these sort of agreements they must have made when making it. Um... And again, it's only an hour long, and it manages to pack in a lot in that hour. Like, it, it feels a little longer than an hour, even though you want to see more of it.
1: Right, that's something that I really picked up, is it really didn't feel like this movie was that short. Like, because there's just so much character and content in it. Like, I never felt like anything was lagging or slow. It like felt like there was always something important going on.
0: Which I will say is is a strength of the Sailor Moon theatrical films is they even though they are only an hour long each they do feel longer like they do feel like you're getting your money's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not with Supers. I'd say Supers is a, again, it, it, it's lackluster. I think that's what I, that is my review. That's my one more review of the Supers movie. It is it is lackluster. Um, it and Supers as a as a part of Sailor Moon itself is a controversial topic. To begin with so maybe it was kind of like you know screwed from day one i would say that this film and the sailor moon R movie are both uh a, very dense for their short run times and definitely you feel like you're getting your bang for your buck when you watch them and they do make a great double feature um like i said i am kind of surprised there hasn't been a triple feature version of them before even though viz did do the double release of this and supers
2: the more I think about it, the more I wonder if they... I, they may have done all three that day. I cannot remember for the life I think they may have done all three that day.
0: I'll have to look into it, because again, yeah. these were made specifically with the idea of a triple feature in mind, because that's how the the Toei Anime Fair worked, was you would see three films in a row, you would buy a ticket for three hours. Um, but yeah, th- there's a lot going on, and I, I kind of like that there are all these sort of lingering threads of symbolism, like there are the the uh competi candies that uh Kakuru gives luna and i love how basil one his questions is is it okay to give candy to a cat no do not give your cat candy <laughs> i, I th- this is this is uh, this is i don't know why he does it i i cannot think why And there even in the reality of sailor moon you would give a cat candy unless you knew luna was a magical talking space cat like, um, we
2: legit looked it up to see what kind of candy and all it was and we're like it's just sugar it's just yes, candy.
0: it's just sugar. So if, if you're not aware, Competo is this uh, sugar candy. They're little tiny stars. It's a Japanese candy. I think it came originally from Portugal. Yes, it is a Portuguese candy. And basically they just put sugar and food dye and they make them into these little pointy stars. Uh, if you have played Super Mario Galaxy, the, um, the star bits in that game are based on Competo. And it's just this little tiny, like, finger candy, or like, penny candy that kids eat, and it's literally just sugar. And I guess to go with the space theme and the love theme in this movie, they use competto frequently as a sort of recurring symbol. And the first time we see it is when Kakadu takes Luna in, thinking she's just a, a stray cat, and he gives her a bowl of milk and some food, and a bowl of competo.
2: Like, um. because p- the Pioneer version was my, my first, like, they will forever be known as Star Flakes to me. But because of that, I didn't know that was an actual candy. Like, because they called them Star Flakes, I thought they were just, like, little cracker things, maybe? Like, I wasn't sure what they were. I didn't know they were a real thing until I watched it, you know, many years later. And I was like, oh, that that's an actual candy, not, like, I thought it was something, I didn't know what it was. <laughs>
1: I love that Cockroach's yes. logic is, "Oh, I have to feed this cat. Let me give her some sugar." Yeah. Cats love sugar.
0: And it's one of those things again, like even within the world of Sailor Moon, I'm like, "That that's not something someone would do. That's not a very normal thing." I guess it it's supposed to play into Cockroach's sort of like you know manic pixie dream boyness. like he's sort of like oh yes I believe even though these things are all true in the world of Sailor Moon there was a civilization on the moon that's completely a actual thing <laughs> in in this universe but yeah, everyone else thinks he's crazy but he kind of is this sort of like I believe that there's a goddess on the moon and I think that Princess Kaguya is a real story and I think that space is magical and mystical and wonderful and I'm romantic and whimsical about it <laughs>
2: To be fair, what you know? Well, yes, it is weird that he gives her candy. I'm also sitting here going, why do you have cat food just readily available? You don't have a cat.
0: I mean, maybe he like had some fish on hand. I mean, he does live right <laughs> by it the ocean. Maybe was tuna, yeah. Yeah, he just has some tuna. <laughs> okay. He's like, well, okay, I'll just you know cut this up and give it to the cat. I mean, or maybe he had a cat and he didn't, and it ran away, and he still had the food left. There, he's like, well, <laughs> getting my use out of it. Um... <laughs> But yes, the the, star, the star-shaped the uh, star compento candy is a frequently recurring thing in this movie. It's the thing that he and uh, Himeko eat at the end of it when they kind of reunite with each other. Again, I think it's kind of playing into that sort of whimsicalness of, of Kakadu that he believes in all of these fantastical things, and so... He's, of course, going to give a cat candy, and he's going to see candy shaped like stars as this wonderful romantic thing. I'm sure it's also, again, kind of tying into the fact this is a children's movie, and this is a, a candy that kids would be very familiar with. Um, you know, they're going to be eating it. It's kind of the same reason why Usagi has the fish cake at the beginning, the the pastry, is because, of, well, you eat that in winter in Japan, and this is winter break. That's why they frequently remind us as the audience, hey, they're on winter break, because you're on winter break when you watch this. And they're girls just like
2: you.
0: I really like the designs of the characters in this film, too. Like, I like the girls' uh, sort of walking outfits, what they wear when they're out and about in Tokyo. Um, I I like the way that this... Again, this movie feels very wintry. Like, you watch it and you feel like you are there in in tokyo uh in the winter when it's just freezing cold and everyone's just sort of hanging out right before the holidays like it does have that feeling and i think they captured that very well i know people like to either like make fun of the the fashion sense of sailor moon or like comment on how 90s it is but i actually think the outfits here really are really sort of timeless and fun um, they, they do have that sort of, like, winter vacation feel that we don't really get to see all that often. Yeah, it really is a, instead of a
1: Christmas movie, more of, like, a winter season movie.
0: And I think part of that, too, is, like, in Japan, Christmas is, like, a, a biggish deal. Like, people do kind of celebrate it as like a as, like, a lark, like... You know, this is something that's kind of imported over from America and England and European countries. It's more of a romantic holiday. It's something more like couples do. Like, they give each other gifts. You you order your KFC and eat it in Japan on Christmas. Um, but it does feel like, again, Christmas is just sort of there, but it's not part of the story. Again, I watch this movie at this time of year just because we have Santa Tuxedo Mask. Um, but it does feel like it it has this sort of like even though I have never been a Japanese middle school girl in the 90s in winter in Tokyo um, there's just something about watching this movie I'm like I have you know back in the before times, done things like this, like hang out with friends on winter break and it's freezing cold and we're, you know, doing all these silly things during break, going shopping, looking at decorations, all that stuff. It does have this relatability that I do love about Sailor Moon as a franchise. These are, you know, people that we can kind of identify with. This is just a group of friends who, yes, they are superheroes, but the stuff they do day to day, their problems, like little relationship squabbles or the way friends sometimes fight with each other, or the way we, you know come together to help each other i think that's very relatable but yes i think that this movie just captures the relatability of the characters in a really endearing way and i think putting that sort of seasonal spin on it kind of helps make this as will said a very a a very good winter movie it's a good movie if like it's it's you know ugly outside and you just want to you know curl up with something cozy and fun yeah as little
1: as we see some of the other inner senti in this film You really do still get to see their character come out from the few scenes that they're in. Especially like when they're talking over with the Kotatsu or when they're in the beginning when they're outside just talking and walking. Like you still get to see that character that we know, even though they don't really have like a huge focus in it.
0: Right. I do love like the little tiny character touches. Like in the beginning of the film, we see uh, what each girl is reading, and Usagi and uh, uh, Minako are both reading the comics based on them. They're reading Sailor Moon and Sailor V and then you know Ray is reading 18 magazine which i guess is like a parody of 17 magazine and um makoto is reading a cooking magazine and you see ami come in and she has like a stack of like math books i i do love that little like character joke like the the ami with the math books is like the big joke of that little scene but i do like how the animators like drew each of the magazines the girls are going to be reading and yep. tailored it to each of them yeah. even though they don't really comment on it in the text of the film again, like we said, for a movie that is so short, there are lots of things to kind of keep you engaged with it, like the little character touches or the way they interact with each other, even though, again, even though this is a Sailor Moon movie, even Sailor Moon herself is kind of a side character to the whole thing. It is mostly about Luna, Kakadu, and to a lesser extent, Himeko.
2: Um, One thing that I, I noticed with this movie that I've never noticed before, and I don't think I would have noticed it, before this last year um, is Himiko at one point, when, when she first gets to Kakaru's house, the you know, seeing him for the first time since she's been back, she says, I've just gotten back from Marshall. And before, that was just a throwaway line for me. I never paid much attention to it. But after I've worked at the Space Rocket Center here in Huntsville for the past year, or I did, and uh, one of the things I got to do was visit Marshall Space Flight Center. That is the only Marshall space anything in the world. So Himeko actually came to Huntsville, Alabama. Like, that's where she was coming back from. And I thought that was just so cool that I, I could have that just kind of relationship with this movie now.
1: Right. That's so awesome. Like, it, it goes back into the sort of research that went into this. Like, they know about, like, the different, like, aerospace areas in the world and, like, what logically where she may have been visited based on her repertoire. Because she's, like, already established as a character as, like, this big, like, astronaut or aerospace character. So they were, like, it just goes to show that sort of, like, specific research they went into it. And that's that's awesome. I didn't even notice that until you brought it up.
2: I, well, like I said, based on how we're watching it, and we both went, Marshall, and I said, Basil, is there any other Marshall other than the Space Flight Center on Redstone Arsenal? And he was like, let me check. And he checked. And they were like, no, that, that's it. And that's where pretty much, like, say, say, Space Command is. Like, other than Houston, there is a Space Command area there. And we I got to see them talk with, like, the people on the space station. So, like, it's, it's a huge deal. It's more than I ever expected. You know, like I said, I, wouldn't have, I never put that together before the last year.
0: Yeah, I thought that when she said I came from Marshall, that it was just like maybe a place in Florida where, like, Cape Canaveral is, but...
2: Yeah, same here. Mm-hmm. And it would make sense, considering, you know, we talked earlier about how Naoko Takiuchi went to Candy Space Center. Like, the fact that she doesn't go there, but she goes to Marshall is really cool. It makes me wonder if she went to, like, space camp for a minute. You know?
0: <laughs> like, while well, I'm in the neighborhood.
2: Well, it's just right up the road. Like, it's it's yeah. so close. <laughs>
0: yeah i mean she did so much research into this and i'm sure uh that there was probably research done on the part of the animators too because there is a there is a a space launch in the film and even though that is in the manga too uh doing something in the manga is different from animating it so i'm sure that even the animators had to do a lot of research into like what does it look like when a space shuttle takes off um they have the scene of himeko in space
2: yeah i mean that shuttle in general like it looks so much like the Challenger in front of the Space and Rocket Center.
0: And I think it's kind of funny that when we do see Himeko in space in her full spacesuit on the shuttle, and it's the scene where um, Kakadu and human Luna kind of fly by, like right before that, the music there is very, very eerie. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels like something bad, like a xenomorph, is going to crawl out at any moment, but uh, it, 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 it's. It, it sort of goes into the her seeing the, the glimpse of Luna and Kakadu flying by. The music in this is great. I do love the music that plays whenever Princess No Kageo is around, because it's this sort of, like, weird, like, uh, wailing, the sort of operatic wailing from this voice on the track that kind of sounds like the wind whistling by. And it, it's very, very atmospheric in how it kind of captures this sort of very eerie, like, alien presence of Uh, Princess Snow Kaguya, while also sounding that frozen, cold, like, chill-you-to-the-bone effect that the film kind of has in places, especially in the the snow dancer scenes. Like, the snow dancers themselves are very eerie for, again, uh, even the monsters of the day in the original anime can kind of verge on Goofy, but these are just, they're so weird and freaky and how they can have their body parts chopped off and not really even be bothered by it is they were a little more uh intense and i imagine that you know for a kids film they would be
2: i think they're able to get away with a little bit more with the movies because they're movies because i mean there's a lot especially in r you know where it's like this, this is still a kid show right <laughs>
0: Right, and I think that just makes them, like, even though uh, Princess Snow Kagea and the Snow Dancers don't really have, like, the dramatic resonance that, like, Fiore in, in the Sailor Moon R movie does, where he is, you know, he's not the main villain, spoiler, there is a sort of bigger bad behind him, um, but he still ties into the main storyline, much better than I think Princess Snow Kagea does, because she doesn't really threaten Luna's relationship in like a personal way other than like I plan to destroy the, the earth anyway um, but they're still beautifully designed and I think uh, Masuyama's voice work really has this you know this sort of eerie high queen effect that I think is like easily impersonated and kind of done like it is sort of like this very specific archetypical voice in Japanese anime voice acting but I think she sells it In such a way like even when she has like the the typical like you know evil queen laughter and the sort of like high lady voice like I think she still makes it eerie and threatening in her own way So the big reveal at the end of the film is is famously Luna's human form. And this is not the only human version of Luna that we see. If you've seen the live-action Sailor Moon, then you know what I'm talking about. But uh, this was something that Takiuchi designed herself and that she really wanted. Uh, this was kind of in the, the seed for Sailor Moon, was the idea that Luna would turn into a human and they'd really have a chance to use it up until now. And so we have, in the end of the film, she briefly turns into a human, and her and Kakadu sort of fly off together in space. Again, sort of Super Mario Galaxy style. They're sort of dancing in space together. (laughs) Um, Is one of the most famous shots of the movie, is them in that beautiful sort of rainbow Aurora Borealis background floating together, and Luna gets a kiss with Kakadu in her cat form, or in her human form, before she turns back into a cat and returns to artemis and uh I, I don't know how i feel about this because even though we do have luna being like i understand i cannot be with kakeru um and she is kind of accepting of that it kind of does feel sometimes like she sort of jumps back to artemis a little too quickly like if i were her I'd be like you know what i just i just gotta have a relationship i'm, I'm not i need some space i need some time <laughs> um but we do have to you know kind of revert back to the beginning of the story. We have to have them kind of end up getting back together because they have to have Diana. They have to have their baby. But again, narratively, I kind of wish Artemis had a bigger role to play in the film because when she does return to him, it just kind of feels like, you know, he hasn't been like a deadbeat boyfriend where he hasn't had anything to do, but he's just been kind of like hey, I'm here if you need me. And then she never shows up and then he's like okay, you know, it it feels like I kind of want him to also have more of a through line in the story and I hope that if they do you expand it for the musical that they kind of give him more of a role to play because i think there's a lot of potential there in that story right
2: yeah he kind of just to me sorry go ahead
0: Sorry, i was gonna say he kind of
1: like gives her space like he knows she's going through something right now and she's not really receptive to when he's asking about it so in exactly. one way he's kind of like you know letting her do her thing for a bit and he knows that like he's gonna be there for her when she actually needs him which i guess is kind of how you can interpret the ending there because it's like she knows that like artemis is going to be there for her
2: yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking, is that he's he's very much a, okay, you, you obviously have some things you need to work through. There's obviously something going on, but, you know, I, I am here for you. I will always be here for you. And so I think, I, I feel like it's a little sad in that it seems like she almost settles for Artemis and he is okay with that. But I think it also can be like she realizes that, you know, she does have a good thing. You know she just it just took this to see what she had
0: yeah and i think there could have been a version of this movie where artemis is sort of like a jealous hothead and i would not have liked that that would not have fit his exactly. character but yeah. i see that as something that could have happened and would have been like in a lesser version of the story to kind of give some conflict is to make him be like that and i think it is healthier and better that he is again the sort of like i'm here if you need me i'm giving you space i i understand that there's something going on Um, but again it kind of leaves him out of the story in doing that like there are scenes where luna's talking to usagi like when they go to the to the observatory to to look at Kakadu. like i get from a storytelling point you have to have her there so she can turn to sailor moon to fight the snow dancer but in terms of the conversation they had i almost wish it were her and artemis having it Mm. because it feels like a way to bring him into the story and also give him an emotional arc that kind of follows along with luna's
2: yeah, that would have that would have definitely been yeah a good way to do that.
1: Especially his perspective as kind of an observer in this film, seeing what's going on. Um, slightly unrelated or slightly related, rather. But I love the part when all the girls are talking about Luna being in love, and Usagi just has like no idea how Artemis feels about Luna. I just thought that was such a funny yeah. scene.
0: Yeah, this this Usagi we have like she does have the whole like you know freezing the earth would be bad actually seen with princess snow Kaguya where she's being the traditional, like superheroine. But other than that, we are full on in wacky Usagi mode <laughs> in this film. Like she is a, she is a joke factory for most of this film. Um, yep. and I don't hate that. Like I, I sometimes feel like people can interpret her as like too much of like a, of a comedic character and don't recognize like the growth she does over the course of the series. But for this film, like, I think it's okay that she is, mostly wacky Usagi uh, she is very much like even I love how they're like you know hey have you not noticed how Luna and Artemis have kind of had like this relationship growing at the same time like she's uh, unaware of that but she's able to talk to Luna about like what love is and like how she feels about Kakadu so she's like selectively ignorant of, <laughs> of the emotional uh, interiority of Luna
2: <laughs> like I really like the, the scene that they have in Usagi's bedroom where you know Luna was asking about you know what it was like to kiss you know and, and everything and and it seemed like they they have a very more equal footing relationship in this movie in that like it's not equal but more I guess reverse because you know Luna's always the one to give advice so in this one she's asking Usagi for advice and so it was really neat to see that that turnaround.
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of disorienting when you first watch it because you're so used to Luna being the one saying, like, oh, you need to do this, or this is what this is like, or, oh, to be an adult, you need to do this. And then Luna's the one asking Usagi, like, hey, what is it like to be in love with someone? What does it feel like to kiss someone you love? And Usagi is the one giving, like, it feels sweet. It feels like you're melting. It, it feels, like, they could have made a joke there where she's like, oh, it's fun to kiss a hot boy. Um, but yes. no, they, give, they have her say this sort of, like, You know it's not like she's suddenly like a 30 year old woman like she turns into luna and she's going to be the mother type but it does sound like a more mature answer from musagi it's like when you kiss someone you love it feels like you're melting it's a wonderful sweet feeling um which i think is a good way of writing her where it's like you know she can have these moments of maturity and where she can speak to luna one-on-one um, and that Luna you know has moments where she needs to know things from Musagi she needs to learn things from Musagi because she is a human and Luna is not um, usually whenever Luna is reminded of her felineness it's for a joke it's oh I can't do this because I'm a cat um, and not like oh I I am a, a, a cat with the intelligence of a human being and I have to live with that. overall like will this was your first time seeing this uh, anna you and i have both seen this a few times before so did you have any new takeaways anna or did you have anything that really stood out to you will about this movie
2: i mean my my big new thing was the fact that they do mention huntsville and i never realized it before like that was such a, a fun surprise like you know
1: <laughs> how about you will yeah i think we kind of talked about it a lot but in terms of this being a very luna centric story it was something i was really not expecting going into this especially in the beginning when luna gets saved by kakaru when she once gets hit by that car i was like oh my god this movie's like getting really intense and then it like focuses a lot on her it was a very pleasant surprise um because i do like luna as a character um so being able to see this not really being like a Sailor Moon-centric film, but more so like a Luna-centric film in terms of, like, themes and character, was really refreshing and enjoyable. Like, it just took- was not expecting it to be that type of movie, but I really did enjoy it for that.
2: I will say, the scene with with Huckaroo saving Luna from the car, when I saw it this time around, my brain went, Mamaru did the exact same thing. Luna needs to stop walking in the street.
0: It it also just strikes me now, having watched this for, like, you know, the the fourth or fifth time, it's like, you know, this is another Keiko Han character in Sailor Moon who is in love with a man that doesn't love her back. Oh, like I'm just oh. I'm just imagining like Luna saying like, Oh, I fell in love with this this man on earth who could not love me back as I was and sit so, and like Queen Barrels in the back with a cigarette like oh honey <laughs> Tell <laughs> me about it. Oh God, that...
2: oh that definitely oh that that definitely puts a fun fun new spin on this movie. <laughs>
0: Just, I want, like, I want, like, uh, Queen Beryl and Luna to have, like, a First Wife Club, like, thing going <laughs> on. I'd
2: be <been> down for <laughs> that.
0: But yes, what, okay, I guess my final, uh, thing to say for this movie is would you guys recommend this as a movie to watch around Christmas? As a Christmas Definitely. anime movie? Oh.
1: Definitely. Yep. It really does have that wintry feel even if it's not for christmas specifically just because of that one tuxedo mask bit it still has like like i would watch this like in november or january just any like chill wintry time because it really does hit a lot of that aesthetic and feeling
0: this is a good snow day movie i would say like you can watch it at christmas but i would also say it's good for like if you're snowed in and you're like me and you've aged out of finding snow pleasant um, it's definitely like pop some popcorn and you know this will kill an hour of your day yep so that has been our discussion of the sailor moon s movie i'd like to thank everyone for tuning in and i would like to especially thank anna from the awesome cast for joining us and being our guest mooney on for the episode
2: thank you for having me
0: and I would like to thank Will for joining us because we don't really get him to talk about uh, Sailor Moon sort of things. And he is also a, a Mooney. He is maybe not as long in a tooth with it as me and Anna, but uh, I'm glad to have another perspective on the Sailor Moon franchise with us today. Yeah, thanks. So Anna, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter at AngelDarkFire. There's no A in dark. And sometimes I'm on the Awesome Cast. sometimes I'm on the Carbuncle Chronicle, whenever we record another one. And eventually, Basil and I will do another uh, Touch by a Duelist podcast. Maybe.
0: (laughs) I feel like that's where all of us now are with, like, doing anything in the pandemic. It's like, it might happen, I don't know. Time is 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 a flat circle. Our
2: first and only episode was a year ago, November. And you would think, with the fact that we are married and live together, we could plan time to sit down and actually record. We can't. We're terrible at it.
0: And Will, where can people find you? Yeah, you
1: can find me on Twitter at swooshxbear. Uh, if you want to see more tweets about video games or how I've been just spending pandemic shoveling MMs in my mouth, um, but you could also check me out at Midshelf Gaming or other. Uh, frequent third impact uh, collaborators ryan and edwin and myself talk about video games to our heart's desire
0: but have you ever given m to a cat that is the real question
1: you know it's something that i you know the chocolate aspect comes kind of putting me off but if luna can eat, can eat sugar
0: stars you know maybe anything's possible and as for me if you want to keep up with me you can find me here on the third impact anime podcast or on twitter at calvacun that is C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N although I am trying not to be on Twitter because I hate it and it makes me a worse person every time I log in. But sometimes I might be there the same way that sometimes you might go into a bar and see that one person you know that they're trying to get better but God, they keep getting sucked in. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter and on the Third Impact Anime Podcast. Until then, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings, uh, God Bless Us All Sailor Moon. Uh,